So I didn't do a journal entry today, but, or I don't have a journal entry for today, but I did want to talk about something that I experienced in 2016. And it was this, I got a DUI or a DWI, I actually can't remember which one it was. Apparently there's a difference. But I wanted to talk a little bit about how upsetting the criminal justice system is in this country. So there's a very long story to how I ended up being drunk in my car at like 1 a.m. in this very small town in Missouri. And I was in my car. It was January. I had gone out to celebrate. It was a going away party. Um, I ended up being in my car asleep in the driver's seat. I had wore a t-shirt, jeans, Uggs, and a sweater to this party, and it was freezing cold out. So I turned my heated seat on, turned on the heat, took a nap. Woke up to the police knocking on the window, did the tests, failed them apparently, and was handcuffed. They were gonna leave my purse and my debit card and all my things on the seat of my car, except that I asked them if I could grab it and they they did say yes, so I grabbed it. Um, I didn't protest or anything. I was very afraid of being killed, so I just didn't say anything really. And I got taken to jail. They breathalyze me. And then I have to be photographed for the mugshot. And then I am, well, before that, I'm stripped of my personal belongings, right? So I'm wearing a t-shirt, jeans, and Uggs. They were actually the knit Uggs, so they weren't even like the kind with fur on the inside. So I'm wearing a t-shirt, jeans, Uggs in this large kind of feels like a warehouse really is the intaking place at this particular jail and it was freezing in there they told me i couldn't get my sweater they told me there's nothing they could do about how cold it was they didn't feed me they said that someone was going to have to pick me up but that i was going to have to wait there after being booked for two or three hours for no reason just because like really for no reason because if I had to get picked up anyway why can't I just get picked up right now like what is the point of that so that happened and then I get um, you know they confiscated my driver's license and gave me this ticket that said I had to write fill out this card fill out the paper and send it in or my license would be suspended immediately so I retained an attorney I just well actually I was going to look for someone online but someone I knew told me that she had worked for an attorney and gave me that person's number well also please don't ever get an attorney based on that because this person sucked he was the worst honestly and you know I had never really been in any kind of trouble like that so I didn't really understand that you as a person as an individual person have to first convince your lawyer that you are a human being and in need or or you're a human being and deserving of good representation 
even though, you know, I, I'm paying the money that, you know, I, I work hard for the living that I make and I'm using a lot of it to pay you to help me stay free. But then also in addition to that, I have to prove to you that I'm not someone who deserves to be treated this way. And and really what I mean is that as a black woman, I had I felt that my lawyer didn't, one, care what was going on with me, did not care that my freedom was in jeopardy, did not care that I wasn't even driving my car when I was arrested in charge with the DWI. So, you know, and I say that not because I'm under the illusion that oh, you should be given a break for breaking the law unbeknownst to you. Like, I get it. Ignorance of the law is not um, a reason or is not, you know, a reason to not be charged for something that you've done that's illegal, right? However, when we were in the elevator once, he was bragging to another attorney that he had gotten a man's charges reduced to basically nothing after he had done, like, two or three like really horrible things to someone else and he got the charges reduced so I felt like in his mind that man was worthy of good representation but I was not so in addition to that some more background information about myself in 2016 I have very low self-esteem I had previously attempted to stop drinking actually and for the most part kind of had I had only been drinking couple glasses of wine at home for the better part of a year until that night when I had gone out to celebrate um, someone moving away. So the one of the first things I had to do was do some kind of assessment for alcoholism. And all the questions were about, well, they just asked, have you ever? And so I felt that I was not assessed a properly because at that time I was not doing a lot of heavy drinking. I that had been that like I said the first time I'd been out in over a year. So those things I really felt like didn't apply to me but they were counted against me because I had done them before. And I answered the questions honestly. Later I found out um that you're not supposed to answer the questions honestly. You're supposed to make it seem like you don't do the things that you did or whatever which is not something that occurs to me because I'm genuine. I'm generally a, an honest person, especially when it comes to something that could get in trouble for, like big trouble. This isn't like I might get time out or you know my phone might get taken. Like this is my freedom being taken away. So I felt like it was important to be honest because I didn't want anyone to be able to go back and look at something and say, oh well, she did this this one time, and so. That was the attitude I had, and apparently it was the wrong attitude to have. I felt a lot of shame for what happened, even though I really, in retrospect, had retrospect had not really done anything wrong except to be in my car, you know, because I had met people who had been driving their cars, got into a car accident, whether it was alone or with another vehicle, and got less punishment than I received so anyway let's continue so I'm 
meeting with this lawyer, sometimes, you know, I just don't feel good about myself. I just feel terrible about what happened. I, an, a person who already had low self-worth to then be told that, not be told, but to feel like a criminal and to feel like a person who has never done anything good in the world ever. It just was demoralizing. It, it was depressing. It was terrific in the original meaning, meaning terrifying, right? So it just, it just wasn't a good combination of things to be happening. So I do this little assessment thing. They're telling me, so the assessment cost maybe, okay, so to retain the attorney, it was like, I don't know, like $900 or something. And then to take this little assessment test, it was like 250. And then I had to take some other like assessment that was also like $200 or something. And then they said that I needed to go visit another lawyer who needed to do like a background story write-up of me. So first of all, I have ADHD. And part of the symptoms of ADHD is that it's um, it's very difficult to do tasks that you don't want to do especially when you're not motivated to get the task done. So I sat on this. There were all these questions that it wanted that it wanted to ask me. Like, where do you see yourself in the future? What's one thing from your past that you wish you could change? Like all these horrible, stupid questions. And really, it just comes down to the money. Because so many people told me that I should not have been honest on that because one of the things that it asked you was something about like drug use or something. And I mentioned that like twice I had um, tried to smoke weed. One of the times was right after my my dad died. And um, and then that I had done ecstasy as a freshman in college. So that was all in there. And the man told me when we were going over my answers, because I had to give him the answers, he read them or whatever. And then he met with me to go over the things that I had talked about and what he was going to talk about in his report for the court. So one of the things he told me was that what I sent him would not be part of the court record, but he would basically summarize what I had said. And so to later go to court and have the judge read those things that I had written in response to those questions was was crazy to me because here's a person who's an attorney, right? And, you know, I have an understanding that many people are not good. They, it's not, you know, obviously people shouldn't be put in, no person is all good or all bad, obviously. However, there are some people who just have relatively low to no goodness in them. And I understand that. However, I did not recognize the parts of the justice system that are just inherently biased. And not even inherently biased, really, but just up to a person's discretion, which is very concerning because people are so different. And people have such different values and moral systems and compass and moral compasses, if as it were, you know. So 
where you would think that the law would be something very tight and uniform is actually very loose and and can be interpreted so differently and so leniently for some and harshly for others basically anyway so for him to have submitted my answers when he told me that he would not was also very hurtful like it it hurt my feelings because he presented himself as a kind person but he was a liar just like my lawyer so um so the court process was also very um kind of traumatizing and hurtful and unpleasant, which is something I had not had previous experience with. So one of the things that kept happening was I would be given a court date. I would show up. I would have to sit, you know, in the gallery or whatever. They would call my name and my lawyer. We would go up to the front. The judge would say, hello, Miss, Miss, you know, and say hello to my attorney and then say, okay, good to see you. Here's your next court date. And it would be for like six weeks later. And I'm like, so so at that time, I was working as a social worker, and I had a pretty flexible schedule, like very, very flexible. And I had to miss several staff meetings because of going to court. And my job was really cool. They were amazing, honestly. They let me take a leave of absence when my license eventually was suspended for 30 days. And they were just... They were, they were pretty cool for the most part about, you know, what was going on with me. So, but I imagine, you know, being a person who works a regular job where you have to, you know, show up or whatever, and you have to take off work in order to be able to go to court. You have to take PTO in order to go to work, and then you get to court, and you're, you don't actually have anything to do. You just are showing up for literally no reason. For literally no reason to see your face for what you know so for people who do not have the freedom to come and go at work as they please that's very hard for them to be able to do and then to have to do that for six weeks so i got arrested in january and so, and I, my sentencing wasn't until November. So for 10 months, about sometimes every four weeks. So every four to six weeks, I'm having to show up at work and take it. I'm having to take time off of work or take time out of my day to show up for court only to be told nothing for you to do. See you next time. That's, that's actually crazy. It messes, it messes with the person's livelihood and, it, and it's demoralizing to have to go and stand in front of a judge every few, week, every few weeks for almost a year to do nothing, for, for nothing, for literally nothing. So comes to sentencing, I am awarded a suspended imposition of sentence. However, because of the suspended imposition of sentence, I am going to be required to do additional things. So I've shown up to court several times over the course of 10 months. I've paid my lawyer tons of money. I've paid tons of money to another lawyer to do that. Um, One thing, oh, I paid for an assessment and I had to pay for a two-day class 
to, I forget what they call it, S something. S, I can't remember. But you have to go to that, and that was like $500 be, to listen to someone tell you that alcohol is a dangerous um, substance and it does all these things to your brain and many people who uh, drink and get DUIs are mentally ill and it's important to get help for depression it's like things that I know right things not only things that I know but things that I had been working on and had really kind of overcome in the year that I hadn't been going out so just really quick aside when I got that DUI. I did do a lot of reflecting about the drinking and I ended up actually not drinking for four years. And that's actually kind of another story. But what I did realize was that while I had addressed the root causes of using alcohol the way that I had been using it, I had also developed a habit of taking shot after shot, drink, ordering drink after drink at a bar just because that's what you did when you went out. And so because I hadn't been out and because I had been working on those root causes, there was a, there was a conflict in me too because I'm like, well, I'm not even really that person. But because I hadn't dealt with the mechanics of what does it look like to not be a person who uses alcohol to treat their issues or, you know, doesn't drink responsibly, basically. Um, you know, how does a person who does drink responsibly behave at a bar? Well, you know, they do this or they do that or they do that. So I hadn't worked that out yet. So I was eventually able to work that out. And I did later start drinking again um, in 2020. But anyway, back to the story. So I'm going through all of this and I've I've paid out of my pocket at this point, probably $3,000, which is not a lot of money, but it is a lot of money, right? Okay, so then the suspended imposition of sentence, I was expected to wear an alcohol ankle monitor, which I did get and it cost... mm, I think it was like $120 to get it installed, air quotes, installed. And then it was going to be like something like a dollar and something an hour. And then a maintenance fee every like 30 days or something. So it was going to be like two or $300 a month to have that. And then I also was going to be required to have a breathalyzer in my vehicle to start it along with a camera in my car to make sure that it was me who was blowing into the breathalyzer. So I've never been arrested before, right? Before this, I had never been delinquent on a ticket. I had had a speeding ticket and a couple of parking tickets at this point. Um, And this happened in 2016. So I was... I don't even know. Not that old. <laughs> Not that old. Hmm. How old was I in 2016? Maybe 26, 27? Something like that? Um, I'm really not going to do the math. My math skills are very poor. I'm so sorry. Um, anyway, so not really having any history of trouble. So 
I'm going to have to do all these things in order to get this DUI not to basically show up on my record. So I do these things. I pay this money. Um, then I go to work and I tell them what happened. And they're like, no. Right. So they've been super good to me up until this point. But they, you know, I, I was a social worker and I had to drive clients around. That was part of my job. So the camera breathalyzer thing in the car for them was a no. The ankle monitor, even really two for them, was a no. I didn't tell them that I had already gotten them both at the time. Um, I just hadn't had to drive anybody around, thank God, yet. So they were super great, but they were like, this is no. So I go back to court. And so first, my mom wants me to collect letters from people. So I'm collecting letters of support from people at my church. Everyone at my job wrote a letter. Um, both, well, both my supervisors and our director wrote a letter for me. Um, my mom got, my family's Catholic. My mom got an archbishop to write a letter for me, you know. So, and I got someone from the university I graduated from. He also wrote a letter for me in in support of me in saying that, you know, I'm an upstanding member of the community. I'd been a social worker in that town at this point, maybe three years, um, only worked at nonprofits, didn't work for the state, you know, I was, and I was doing preventative services. So I had been at that, up to that point, working to help keep families from losing their children to the state, right? So, this, these are what these letters are saying. And the judge is like, well, only this letter says um, why you shouldn't have the camera and because of the, because of the um, privacy of your clients. I get that. So we can take the camera out. He was just very horrible the entire time, honestly. Um, and I remember he said to me that as a, as a person who works with children, he's surprised that my work is allowing me to still work with children when I'm like a reckless person. And it's like, I went to sleep in my car being drunk and now I'm a reckless person and I endanger children. There were no children in my car. I wasn't working. I was, so, okay, I wasn't working. Okay, so that particular job, we were on call 24 seven, but I had had someone, you know, we would to take the weekend off if we didn't have to meet our clients. And we were, you know, on call, we would have someone stand in for us for on call, basically. So he felt like that was um, the first sign that I have an alcohol problem because I asked someone to cover for me. But it's like no one wants to go out and have to be worried about being on call and answering a call without having fun. Like, what are you talking about? So that was something that he said um, by the time. So I had got sentenced in the middle middle. I guess it was two weeks before Thanksgiving. No, the week before Thanksgiving. So I went back to court that Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And basically, I was asking for, I was asking not to have to do that stuff. Because I, I felt like it was crazy. And I felt like it was outrageous. But those weren't the things I said, you know. And I really didn't even say anything. So basically, I forewent the suspended imposition of sentence and got to and basically took the misdemeanor now my attorney told me so first of all I'm crying 
I wasn't crying yet, but I had to go. I asked him if I could tell if I could call my job because no one told me I'd be going. No one told me I would have to go to jail. Like, so, okay, I'm skipping ahead. Okay, so basically what happened was he, I was able to forego the suspended imposition of sentence and take the misdemeanor because it was a misdemeanor traffic violation or whatever. And because of that, he said that I had to go to jail. And my lawyer had previously said that if I had to go to jail, I'd be able to do it on the weekends. And I knew someone who had a felony had gotten three DUIs and was given a felony and had violated the terms of his probation, had to go to jail, but was able to do it on the weekends. And he was an entrepreneur. Or not even just an entrepreneur, but he worked for him. He worked for himself and didn't have a schedule. He didn't have clients that he had to meet like every day or anything like that or a store that he had to run or anything. So, but And he was able to do his time over the weekend. But the judge sentenced me and said I had to do my time immediately starting you know immediately and that I had to do all of it at the same time so you know my work thinks I'm going to court and I think I'm going to court because why would I have to go to jail so I go out into the hallway and call my supervisor and I'm like crying and I'm telling her like they're sending me to jail and I don't there's nothing I can do and she's like, okay, you know, they're, you know, they're like, okay, we'll take care of your clients or whatever. Like, we'll take care of that. And it's like, they arrest me, you know, in court, which I'm sure many people have experienced. I had not, um, you know, in front of my mom, right? So my mom is sobbing. I'm sobbing. This is, this is horrible. And he, the judge had said during the sentencing, this new second sentencing that um, I needed to experience what it would what it's like for the people who have lost their family to drunk drivers who won't have them home for Thanksgiving this week you need to know what that's like so you're going to be in jail until Friday morning and i'm like i wasn't driving so anyway that's the story of me going to jail and in addition to all the money that i already paid i had to pay to get the to once I got out of jail I had to pay to get the ankle monitor off or did I have it I can't remember exactly oh no this is what happened I was given the suspended imposition of sentence and I had to do all of those things and I had to go to jail that was and I had to go to jail that's exactly right okay so in addition to those things, I had to go to jail for four days. So the letters and stuff happened after I got out of jail because I didn't get the ankle monitor until that day. So when I got out of jail, I had to go get the ankle monitor, get the thing put in my car because I only had so many days that I, I was only given so many days to complete those specific tasks. So I had to do that. And then that's when I went to my job. And they were like, oh, no, we can't do this. And that's when I got the letters of support. And that's when I got the um, sentence changed from a suspended imposition of sentence to a misdemeanor. So I didn't go to jail after it got changed, but I did have to go to jail um, before that as part of the suspended imposition of sentence. Also, 
I would have had to go to jail more for the misdemeanor had the judge not said that, you know, the time that I spent in jail was sufficient for whatever, because apparently there's more jail time attached to it. When I've met so many people who never did one day in jail, maybe they got better lawyers and paid more money. I would have gladly worked three more jobs if it meant that I would have been able to stay out of jail because it's just such a violating experience. I'll just share one story um, because I did actually end up dissociating, um, thanks ADHD, um, during my time, which really probably saved my life because it was so humiliating. I won't even talk about the bend over and cough thing, um, but people who've been to jail know exactly what I'm talking about. So I will tell the story. So when I originally got arrested, I have this um, pair of earrings that I wear that for some reason the backs will not come off of them. They just don't, so I just don't even bother anymore. They just don't come off. So when I went to jail the first time, I told I told them that, and they were like, oh, okay. So I, you know, I stayed in the whatever, in that holding area that was freezing. Um, and so then when I went to jail again, you know, I had actually, the bailiff had let me take off all my jewelry and give it to my mom so I didn't have to worry about um, putting it in the back because I had actually lost one of my rose gold um, rings because of from taking it out of the bag in my car, you know, once I was released the original the first time. So I'm in there. I've been there for in the actual jail part. It was a pod. I've been up there maybe like three or four hours and this um, what do they call them? Corrections officer, which they're not correcting anything. Um, this corrections person, um, this woman, comes up to me and is like, what's going on with the earrings? And I'm like, oh, they don't come out. And so, okay, so first of all, when you get arrested and you're going to be going to jail and the jail is at the place where you're being, you know, I was arrested in court, but the jail was in the same building, right? So you go through many hands. I saw the bailiff. I had to um, meet with someone in a little room. That lady saw me. I had to um, be had to have my picture taken again, and my and my opticals, my eyes were also recorded. They like took a picture of my eyes because you can't be free in society. Um, a little aside on that, like I, they're going to be scanning for people using those pictures and they're going to say that people were in places that they weren't because they scanned and were able to find them i'm sure you saw manchurian candidate i'm just saying okay so i'm in there the co person she's like oh they don't come out and she grabs my ear and tries to pull the earring out of my ear trigger warning it felt like being raped it felt like being raped it was so horrific that i i that my soul became small inside me that i feel that i lost my voice because i was violated in such a disgusting way and it wasn't sexual and that's the thing about it that it's hard to communicate to people that being touched when you don't want to be touched, is so incredibly violating. It's so incredibly horrible. All she she touched my ear and tried to pull my earring apart, but I don't know her. 
I didn't ask her to do that. She really had no right to do it, except that she carries a gun in a jail and I'm a person in a, in a prisoner's uniform, right? If I had pulled away or resisted, one thing she could have held on and I could have gotten hurt or she could have screamed at me or yelled at me and I could have gotten in trouble or she could have shot me to death. Do you understand what I mean? So to be violated in that way repeatedly every single day is horrifyingly unimaginable. And I am so sorry to people who have to experience that. Black people are over-policed. We are over-punished. We are over everything. We're, and, and honestly, I am over it because this is, it's, it's bullshit. And not something has to change. Very specific things have to change. The way we view people has to change. The way we tiptoe around the, the violence of white supremacy has to change. The way we tiptoe around older generation white politicians is insane. The way that we interact amongst ourselves, believing that there's nothing that we can do when that's just the propaganda machine and not the reality of life, has to change. There are very specific and targeted things that can be done to stop the systemic mistreatment of black people and other people of color and women, obviously. And this is just, this, my, my, the point of my story is not really about that, but it ties in to real life. Those things tie into real life, real experiences that people are having, real injustice that people are experiencing, real trauma that people are being subject to. It's serious. And you cannot talk about crime in this country unless you talk about poverty, unless you talk about the ways the system is set up to disenfranchise people and to make sure that they do not have what they need. That's something to talk about for another time. I'm, I'm done. My, my, my mouth is dry. My tea is cold. Tea's stone cold. I'm wondering why I even got a bed at all. Seriously. <laughs>